I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders. Going to start the show off with an interesting conversation. I actually always find these conversations interesting, Ricky, which is, you know, what should sportsbook operators, what should daily fantasy gaming operators do in the event of something weird happening? And, you know, we all have examples of this, right? Uh, I think probably the most famous in the DFS world is the elevator fire that took place in the Mexico City game between the San Antonio Spurs and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I believe that was in 2016. Might have even been before that, though. That's how long um, we've been doing this. There have been numerous examples, though. So just recently, we had the uh, the Rudy Gobert night in the NBA where all of those contests were canceled. But uh, there was a recent occurrence of this happening, happening in the KBO for DraftKings and FanDuel contests. And because of the strict KBO rules as it pertains to weather, uh, basically the DK slate was a super interesting example of this. Yeah, so for those who were not tuned into the KBO this weekend, there was a game between the Hanwha Eagles and the Doosan Bears that clearly had weather issues. It was a slate where basically all of South Korea was dealing with rain, but there were three games that looked like they were in major trouble, and one of them got postponed, but Doosan and Hanwha ended up playing, and there was a delay in the second inning that lasted 75 minutes. Now, the, the old rule in KBO and what Byung-Ho Park talked about, I think it was an article for, like, Twin Cities in 2016 that when he came to the MLB, he had never dealt with a, a longer rain delay than a half hour. But it looks like the KBO this year is being a little bit more lenient, you know, trying to get these games in because you had coronavirus 
basically delay the season. But there was already a 75-minute delay, and then the teams played three innings, and it was officially deemed suspended. So not an official game, for those of you who know the you know scoring rules of, of baseball. Basically, you have to play five official innings for it to be a game. And yet, the sites, one of them you know being DraftKings for Daily Fantasy, uh, the other one being FanDuel, decided that they were going to count the stats. FanDuel had always had that rule, so it wasn't a surprise there. But DraftKings had been that if a game was not official, they wouldn't count the stats, but they apparently had changed it for this year. And in those three innings, Doosan had hit multiple homers. So all of a sudden, a Doosan team that really shouldn't have played, it was such a risky weather report, plays three innings with a delay in between, wins a daily fantasy slate because two of their chalkiest players hit homers before it stopped. And I thought it was worth having discussion like whether that should be the case. I was on the wrong side of it this time, but I think even on the right side of it, like it should be part of your process to include the weather in there. And if you know there's a league that really doesn't want to play games or have these long delays, I don't think you should get the benefit of the doubt being that they waited 75 minutes and then canceled that you should get those home run stats. And I was wondering how you feel about it. I actually have some insight as to like how the sports books handle it, but not like a hundred percent clarity in that aspect either. So I think sort of my overarching opinion would be you should, the, because daily fantasy is a game of skill and it is a game of trying to, you know, deal with all of these variables. I, I, I sort of think that the the stats should count because what the thing we know right now about the sports world is a lot of these leagues are making new rules on the fly. They're adjusting to the conditions the best they can. You know, seasons have been shortened. Um, you know, we and really we're just trying to get as many games played, as much money generated by these teams as possible before COVID. Uh, you know, makes makes these leagues stop playing. You know, before COVID threatens. You know, how much baseball, how much football, how much basketball, whatever can be played. So I, I kind of think, Ricky, the stats should count. And I think that if you're a smarter player, you understand like, okay, this one time I lost, the rain was really, the rain was really threatening, the stats counted, whatever. A majority of the time, this game is going to get canceled, the stats aren't going to play, or even, you know, people are going to be owning 30% owned hitters from this game. But those 30% owned hitters are going to get one plate appearance, two plate appearances in a, a three inning game or a four inning game. And just accept that, you know, this time I lost, but a vast majority of the time I'm not going to lose. Yeah. And to be fair, they were more like 40 to 45% owned. So it was even crazier than that. So I still feel like my process not using guys who got two at bats was the right process. But there's like even more to that is that it was a suspended game. I think if this game were postponed, I would have been even more pissed if they played like two innings and then these games didn't officially end up counting for the season um, because these at least they're going to get suspended and they were played the next day. So like the, the stats immediately counted for KBO. But I think it's a horrible precedent to set. Like if they play an inning or two and the game gets postponed and the, the stats don't go in the actual scorebook for that to be the case. But I was trying to see like what these sports books do. And I was reading a blog at Vegas Insider that the rules in the MLB now, you know, there are times that they'll just suspend a game and play it the next day. 
but sports books are so far behind that there was actually a case, I think it was last year or the year before, where a game went six, or almost six, I think there were two outs through the sixth inning, was suspended, and sportsbooks paid it out through the beginning of that inning where the Pirates were winning that game, even though the Cubs had the lead at the bottom of the inning, and they played it the next day, and I think the Cubs ended up winning that game. So for, for that perspective, like when it was, a, you know, they played after five innings, they would just revert to the, the last half inning, but I still don't have clarity on, like, if it's a three-inning game and the game is tied whether you get like a futures ticket, like you would pay out, you know, if they played the game in September and it was a few months earlier, you'd have to wait till the game is played or whether they just cancel it out and you get your money back. I'm, I still haven't been able to find a blog clarifying which is the case. Well, and I think a lot of the times from a sports book perspective, so you know, the FanDuel sports book, they in these gray areas i mean obviously they have some because these are fed you know these are federally and state licensed sports books they have you know other areas that they have to answer to right so like you know a lot of the times these guys i i basically legal sports books you know the the ones that are completely above board they are you're like you're more likely to either get refunded or if you lost your bet you get refunded and the winning bet gets paid out you know the the correct winning amount which is kind of how i think that's how definitely how I think the sports betting side should work. DFS is just so different because there are so many different ways that you could shoot angles. And it's, you know, it's just not like every time something happens with, with sports, people like to shoot the angles and try and get their entries refunded. Um, you know, this doesn't happen anymore because FanDuel and DraftKings are so massive and the infrastructure is so good. But Ricky, do you remember when the sites used to like routinely, like at least once a season, you could count on DraftKings or FanDuel, the site just straight up being down before lock on Sundays. Yep. And whenever that happened, people would be, you know, like essentially people would be angling for free rolls where if their entries were, you know, if they, if they had won, they'd want to be pay out their winnings. And if they lost, they wanted their entries refunded and you know that that's not a sustainable business model for the daily fantasy operators at all no definitely not i can remember that happening by the way in fantasy draft this past uh nfl season where everything just slowed down drastically but i had uploaded my sheets like the night before so i was just sitting there cruising uh and i was just you know smiling that other people had to deal with it but i've been there on the other side of that where like you're scrambling at the end uh and things go wrong but that's part of it. I'm wondering if your opinion changes, though, based on whether the game is suspended or canceled. Because you said that sites should just count it. But does that mean if, if a Doosan team plays one inning, hits three homers, and then the game is actually canceled and the, the stats don't count, that you're standing by that same position that you still think they should count for Daily Fantasy? So I think there's a big difference between suspended and canceled. I think suspended yeah. games, so whether they, you know, whether they play that game again in a week, whether they play it at the end of the season, whether they play it as part of a doubleheader, I think my take would be suspended games should just for sure count, you know, pretty much regardless. Um, I think the pitcher stats, the hitter stats, I think contests should pay out like those stats are legitimate. I think in canceled games where you know, those stats aren't going to count for the hitter season long stats. You know, that's not calculating into their, their weighted on base average or whatever. I think if the game is straight up canceled, then those stats should just go back to zero, which is, I believe the way that things work in major league baseball contests on daily fantasy sites, where uh, a game is official in major league baseball. If it goes 
five innings. So that means that after five innings, they can just cancel that game straight up. And the rest of the game doesn't have to be played, but the stats will officially count. The win and loss will officially count against the team in the standings. Whereas a canceled game, if it doesn't make it five innings, is very likely to be played again um, at another point in the season. So I think there's a big distinction between canceled and suspended. So my understanding now is even if it's canceled, the stats that have been accumulated up until then count for daily fantasy, which is the part that I don't like. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that. I think you can see from the operator side why you would want to do that though. Like from from the DraftKings and FanDuel side, it's basically I mean, basically, it's less work, right? Like you just you you process yeah. the contest as they stand. You know, you make some sort of disclaimer in the terms of service or the FAQ that you know whatever DraftKings decides relative to what the official league decides is going to be the way that the scoring works. Like I I get it from the the gaming side. I don't love it as a player, though. I think there is if you know that that's going to be the way that things are ruled. I think there is a huge edge in not playing players in those games at all especially if it's going to be you know the kt Wiz or the deuce on bears or the key womb heroes that are gonna those those teams and those players garner so much ownership and there are going to be players ricky who are not paying attention to the weather reports who are you know waking up at four o'clock in the morning making sure their hitters are in but you know not diligently scouting the weather yeah it just never seems to be the case that the smart players get get the edge there it's that you know those three inning games where people play them because they're playing them against bad pitchers, they crush early, and then all of a sudden, like even in three innings, it, it ends up working out. It always seems to happen on short MLB slates. It may just be, you know, my mind misremembering things, but when you try and play it the smart way and you know try to target the games with you know nine innings, they're teams that score two runs, and of course the, the Bears have like two homers, three runs, or whatever it was in three innings, and they still win a slate. Yeah, that uh, that is certainly true, and it's going to be interesting to see if those rules change for pro baseball when baseball does come back you know um i could see i could see perhaps things you know maybe they play seven inning games or something like there's so many proposals uh there's so many proposals right now for major league baseball that would change the way that we bet on the games that would change the way that we play daily fantasy for the game so i think overall i the, my general take would just be whatever is in the terms of service is how things you know should be abided by. But we are going to go ahead and head into break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to dig into some specific KBO talk, talking some of the uh, high hitters, the best pitchers, and uh, just overall some DFS and gambling strategy for the KBO. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? 
You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders, transitioning our talk from KBO weather chat to uh, actual KBO talk. Uh, we have we have some new power rankings here, Ricky. We have uh, really an interesting season. I think it's a, a fascinating season overall for the American audience to be watching KBO for the first time because. The Doosan Bears are not walking away with things. You know, this really is uh, a new hierarchy that we have inside of the KBO this season. Yeah, and I think if you listened to our show last week, uh, we're, we're referencing, by the way, ESPN's power rankings, but we basically said the same thing last week, that the LG Twins might be number two. And if you remember in the FanDuel betting market, Davis, we were talking about them at plus 750 as potentially one of the best values. Uh, they moved to number two in these power rankings, and they're still plus 650. So they moved up quite a bit. But if you, you know, latched onto that bet last week, you got one of the best value bets. And I know betters who have been following along are probably disappointed that Roberto Ramos was removed from the roster. He's, he's had 
Uh, a bit of an issue with his health this weekend, but is expected to be back this series. Like, for the long run, you don't really care as long as Roberto Ramos is going to be healthy. And I think it was a great value when we talked about it last week, but I'm, I'm glad that teams are kind of latching onto this LG Twins team being a great defensive team, being a team that, you know, we've mentioned Kia's starting pitching probably being the deepest from one to five. But the thing with this LG team is they have six usable starting pitchers. They have this youngster, Minho Lee, who from a three-start stretch, you know, his last three starts before he was sent down, three earned runs in 19 and a third innings. That's a 1-4 ERA with a 21.6% K rate at, at, sorry, he's 18 years old, not even 19 years old. So this kid's a stud and they have five other usable pitchers. So I think he's going to be back up soon. I would like to see them get him more work and for him to be in that rotation, you know, in the playoffs. But you look at that that rotation, you look at Roberto Ramos, you look at Hyun Soo Kim, you look at the defense, you look at a decent bullpen. Like, these were the reasons we were talking about the LG Twins, and it looks like now, Davis, the public is caught up. So we were a week ahead. Um, I think it was the perfect time to bet this Twins team. Yeah, so to give people an idea of the standings, there really is – uh, the top tier, which is the NC Dinos and uh, LG, 26 wins for the Dinos, 23 wins for LG, Doosan at 21 wins, Kia at 20, uh, 20 for Kiwoom as well. So it's actually sort of interesting. Really, Ricky, there are three teams that are just egregious, right? The KT Wiz, the SK Wyverns, and the Hanwha Eagles. Uh, all of these teams have 14 wins or fewer. The Hanwha Eagles have only nine wins, nine and 28. I mean, it's hard to go nine and 28, right? It is very hard for a baseball team to have a 25% winning percentage. Um, I, I really wish I knew the author of this quote, but there's always this quote when you talk about records in baseball, which is, you know, there are about 33% of your games, you're just going to win about 33% of your games, you're just going to lose. And uh, it's what you do in the other 33%, you know, that makes you uh, a good, great or, or bad baseball team. But in the in the case of the KBO, it seems like that is not true at all. It seems like there, like there actually is not, at least this season, a ton of parity in this league. No, you definitely have bottom teams. Although I think there are some who are trending upwards. Like I think the Samsung Lions aren't as bad as they played. Basically, Tyler Saladino in the early going like didn't figure it out. Their closer Sung Kwan Oh, who was uh, a member of the Colorado Rockies, he had to sit out a suspension. For gambling, he's back. Um, they had some offensive injuries. Like I think they're better than they've shown. I think the KT Wiz at least have some potential offensively. Like they could win games outscoring you. The problem is they're pitching and really everything else. Uh, but the bottom of the league is not that great. I do want to talk about SK in a little bit. I think they're okay, but the Hanwha Eagles are just disgraceful. I mean, they sent down like 10 members of their team last week just to try and get new names because their their vets were not working. They lost 18 straight, which was almost the league record. But then, like what we talked about last week is that Doosan might be a bad team to take considering their Vegas odds. They just lost two of three games to Hanwha to break that streak. Not just one, two. And also, if you were a Doosan backer and you didn't listen to what we said last week, 
JLO is their power hitting third baseman who hits third for them. He was just lost through a quote major side issue, which if you know side issues in the MLB, like basically Chris Davis's entire last season was lost because of an of an injury to his side. He could not gain the power that was necessary. Like we've had this conversation about hamate bones and how much that, you know, saps your power, but I think side issues are a lot more concerning. So you might be able to just say that JLO's like his favorability for this year is probably out the window if this side injury is as major as we think because we've seen it ruin basically, you know, guys in all sports. We've seen when you have the side issue in football, it's at least a month, and then you come back and, and it's questionable. For for baseball, you get the power zapped. Uh, it's just a bad injury for, for you know, athletic sports, and I, I don't know how to feel about this Doosan team if you have a terrible bullpen and you have no JLO in this lineup. Yeah, I mean, side injuries are, I, I would actually say if you were, um, uh, I, w- I would say for a baseball player, other than that hamate bone, you know, where the fastball hits you on the hand and you, you grip your bat and you end up breaking those bones, I think, I mean, like you could you could theoretically play through you know, like you know hamstring injuries, soft tissue injuries, like and you're gonna you're gonna recover from those and you're not gonna lose your power. But to completely recover from an injury of because it, it affects your flexion, it affects your ability to torque. Like maybe JLO comes back and he's able to still make contact, but it's gonna be really hard for him to power through right it's going to be very hard for him to keep that power and we know that power hitters are already at a premium in the kbo you know so many of these guys are slap hitters so many of these guys are contact hitters you know what makes guys super valuable is actually their ability to generate power and that you know that might just not come back for him at all this year yeah i mean i think chris davis is such a relevant guy to look at because this was like the he was the man when it came to power consistency in the MLB. He had three straight 40-plus homer seasons with you know home run fly ball rates of over 24%. He still ended up playing 133 games, most of which he was dealing with that side issue. An 18.3 home run fly ball rate with just 23 homers. He hit 220, which was you know obviously a lot lower than his 247, which he hilariously hit exactly in four straight seasons. So I'm really worried about this Doosan team. I still think that FanDuel has them way overpriced at plus 550. I think they should be below Kiwoom and LG at this point if there really is an issue with JLO, which I don't know how you can look at and think there isn't. I think about plus 750 or plus 850 is when I'd start thinking of betting the Doosan Bears. But there's just absolutely no value with them compared to these other teams who I now think just have a better shot. I still think LG at plus 650 of these top four teams is the way you want to go if you're not betting NC. So we should talk about why that is. And a huge chunk of that, you know, other than Roberto Ramos, who's been one of the best hitters in the KBO this year, it's got to be this starting pitching rotation. Tyler Wilson Casey Kelly and uh, the recently demoted Minho Lee. Uh, why do you know why he was sent down? Is it like a, do they have service time issues in the KBO or injury or something with him? I think it's just because they have such a deep staff that I don't know. I I, I don't think it's a service time issue from. The writers that I saw, he's expected to be back up in a week or two. So I think it's just trying to get some of these other guys starts because they have five other reliable pitchers. The last two are slightly worse, but they're still like decent KBO starters. 
Yeah. Uh, so Chan Hong Jung also he has uh, for the KBO. This is crazy. He's their, their he's their fourth starter, Ricky, and he has a twenty seven point two percent K rate. And uh, you know that that's not all. Like they they have uh, a couple more guys, uh, Chan Woo Im and Wu Chan Cha, who are you know also guys that you can throw in as your number five starter and you know, they can eat up five innings at a time before you get to the LG bullpen, who is also, you know, those guys have been reasonably good players this season. So like, I, it, it seems like they just have the best pitching staff. And as long as you, if you have the best pitching staff and a reasonable hitting rotation, like you're going to be well on your way. Yeah. I think for pitching staff, it's like from top to bottom, including the bullpen, it's between them and Kia, but their bullpen is a lot better. Uh, so I think you you just have to say that this LG pitching staff is the best, especially because you have that additional depth of another starter. I mean, look at the guys who have, let's just look at their starters in terms of their FIP, which is, you know, fielder independent. Min Ho Lee leads the team 3-2. You still have Chan Han Jung, 3.88, who, by the way, was one of the most expensive pitchers on FanDuel the other day and one of the cheapest on DraftKings. So FanDuel pricing was a lot sharper because they have already adjusted to this K rate for him. Uh, Tyler Wilson, still under four. Casey Kelly right there at four. Chan Gu Im at 4-2. And then Wu Chan Cha, who I think should be the odd man out. Uh, he's at five. But, I mean, five for your worst pitcher in this league, honestly, is not bad. I mean, there are some just atrocious starting pitchers in this league that have six, seven FIPS. So for Wu Chan Cha to be your technically sixth guy who likely will be out of your rotation by the playoffs or can be your fifth guy if someone gets hurt, I just think this team is getting way overlooked by this betting market. I think if NC is plus 175, right now, if you look at LG, they should be about plus 450, and you still have them at plus 650. Yeah, I uh, I I completely agree. I think I think LG is uh, if I was if I was betting right now on these futures, and uh, you know we're gonna talk Major League Baseball in a little bit, but maybe maybe I'll get uh, some of these MLB futures refunded if uh for not able for not able to uh, actually bet on uh on baseball this year. I mean from the from the hitting side, do we expect them to have you know do we expect them to take some sort of a tumble without Roberto Ramos in the lineup, or do, you, do we think they'll mostly be fine? So I think Roberto Ramos might be back by the time this show airs. Um, so I don't think we have to worry about that too, too much. They don't have a ton of above average hitters. Like Ramos is 205 in terms of WRC+. Hyunsoo Kim second at 142. Then they don't have another hitter over 115. So the lineup isn't like crazy deep, but because Roberto Ramos and Hyunsoo Kim are so good as like the anchors of the lineup, I think guys like Young Sung or, or Im Sung Che and Kang Nam Yu, who's proving to be one of the best hitters against left-handed pitching, are just enough when you see like the rest of this team. So no, I'm not really worried. I think Ramos is back in a game or two. There we go. So as long as, as long as we get Ramos back, we expect their lineup to be okay. We are going to go ahead and head into break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. Uh, when we get back, we will uh, discuss a different LG, the Lot Giants, uh, when we get back and uh, do a little bit more analysis of the KBO markets and just kind of take a survey of what's going on in the league, look at some of the American pitchers and how they are faring in the KBO. So going to go ahead and head into break here. See you guys in just a couple of minutes on the other side. Tune back in for more KBO chatter. 
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on the search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big pop it Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Manick, joined by Ricky Sanders. You're catching us in the middle of some KBO chatter. And, uh, Ricky, we, we covered LG in the uh, the second segment there, discussed some of the problems that the Doosan Bears are having. But the Lot Giants are the hottest team in the league, 8-2 and two over the course of their last 10 games, and pretty much the hottest team in the league right now. Uh, do we do we believe? Are we believers in the Lot Giants? I don't think you can be when you look at who they've played to to get to eight and two. Like over the course of this last ten, they swept the KT Wiz and the Hanwha Eagles while the Hanwha Eagles were in the thick of that losing streak. So it's not like they beat the cream of the crop, and they lost two of three to LG during that span. So I think just from those perspectives alone, just looking at the quality of opponents, like their offense has woken up, but their offense has done so against some of the worst pitching in the league. Like KT Wiz and Hanwha Eagles are back-to-back the worst staffs in the league. When you when you factor in their bullpen, those are the bottom of the barrel. So, I mean, it would be reasonable to think that any offense would wake up during that span. Not to say that the Lote Giants don't have, like, some decent bats. Uh, I mean, Dixon Machado has moved up the the lineup. They've had him hitting fifth or sixth, which is much better than ninth, meaning that you're going to get some at-bats for him as opposed to some of the other guys who are basically, you know, minimum price DFS plays on both sides who, who don't have much upside. I mean, they're like single-digit homer guys at the bottom of the lineup where I think Machado has some upside. But all that being said, like, I don't think we're, we're a believer in this team. Although I will say I have noticed some things about this pitching staff, most of which are negatives in terms of Lote. I mean, Dan Straley's good. But, Davis, do you remember a starting pitcher in the MLB who just, like, mixed in a knuckleball and wasn't a knuckleballer? Like, he wasn't like a Tim Wakefield who was throwing it, you know, seven out of eight pitches. Same thing with R.A. Dickey. Uh, Kyungyun No of the Lote Giants literally just mixes one in, like, a few times a game. And there was a video, I think it was Pitcher List. Uh, it was either hit them or the Pitching Ninja that showed like a 64-mile-an-hour um, knuckleball the last time he pitched. The last game, I was watching the first at-bat before I went to bed. Uh, Kyun Cheng So of Kiwoom was in a two-strike count, and he threw him a knuckleball when he hadn't thrown one all at-bat. And I just think it's weird that there's a guy who just mixes it in. It feels like a creative player if you're playing like MLB The Show because guys either like focus on it in the MLB or like never throw one. That's so interesting. I like off the top of my head, I can't think of a guy who just throws like maybe, you know, maybe 10 times a game, just mixes one in completely yeah. randomly. Now, there are a couple guys who use a knuckle curve, which is a little bit different. Uh, Aaron Nola actually is one of the guys who deploys a knuckle curve with them um, with some consistency. But that is a that is like a, a very different uh, style thing. But it, I, it wouldn't work in Major League Baseball because dudes just wouldn't swing. And it's very hard to throw knuckleballs for strikes. Well, I can't say it's worked that well in the KBO either. Since 2016, Noah's allowed 39 homers in 274 and two-thirds innings, or 1.3 homers per nine, which if you follow this league, amongst qualified pitchers, that's like the worst number every year. It's like 1.3 or 1.4 is the absolute worst. He's won two straight games, but again, his last game out, two homers to the hero. So for daily fantasy purposes, like facing no, 
I think you want to target power hitters against him basically every time out. You're going to get multiple homers a lot of the time. And even if he's throwing a knuckleball, like it's not that frustrating. Also, Junwan So, another pitcher on this Lotte team, 19 years old. He's scheduled to pitch the night we recorded this, so this start will already likely have come. But amongst qualified pitchers, his ERA minus FIP is worst in the league. And how about this? We were just talking about 1.3 homers per nine. He allows 1.5 homers per nine with just an 11% K rate. And he has been lucky in those games. This dude, so a 280 BABIP and an 82% left on base rate. We could be talking about one of those seven fifth pitchers, Davis. And one of the reasons that I don't think you could love Lotte is like the end of this rotation is just atrocious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so interesting to get into these FIP guys in the KBO because uh, yeah. this is this is my this is my supposition that because there is such a lack of home run hitters in this league, Ricky, I actually think like mega fly ball coach like mega fly ball hitters are so few or mega fly ball pitchers are actually a good investment because they're going to be throwing these meatballs over the plate, you know, that an MLB hitter would basically use as batting practice. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be so hard for the average KBO hitter to take advantage of those pitchers that actually you might rather have those guys than have ground ball pitchers. Yeah. Some of the time that's definitely true. Like facing Hanwha, if you could get a guy just inducing fly balls because there's so little power on the team, I think that makes a lot of sense. Whereas if you're, you're getting ground balls, then you got to rely on your infield defense. And depending on your team, like if you're not a great defensive team, those balls could squeak through and all of a sudden you could get babbipped. Whereas in this league, if you're facing one of these teams without power, I think that makes sense that you would rather have a fly baller. It was like uh, Dan Straley when he I think he had a good year with Miami because it was a park where he, it was perfect for him where he's a fly baller but because it was so huge it's a tough park to hit the ball out of which is why you know in MLB we like the San Francisco Giants pitchers you know facing teams that aren't hugely powerful in San Francisco I think you can make the same argument for this league I just don't think you can make the same argument for so who's just not a great pitcher compared to some of the guys in the MLB who we feel like have some talent but I think that takes us pretty logically into the next thing that we should talk about because Dan Straley's in this conversation like who is the second best pitcher in this league because I have an opinion but it feels like everyone else I ask is on a different side of like who is number two like Chang Moku has clearly pitched the best and is likely the MVP at this point in this league but there are a lot of names and I think most of them are the foreign players as to who you could consider the second best pitcher in the KBO. I think that uh, the, I mean, the the way that I would want to break this argument is, you know, just whoever is able to generate the most strikeouts in a league where strikeouts are really hard to come by. Like we all know, Cheng Moku is awesome. He's probably going to head to the MLB. I would, I would guess at some point he is going to head to yeah. Major League Baseball. Um, and and he, so we we kind of think of him as the best. But you know, between uh, Drew Gagnon, uh, Eric Jokic, Dan Straley, Aaron Brooks. I mean, who like first of all, I, I I think my answer would probably be Jokic. But you know, I'm I'm open to hearing other arguments. So. I was arguing about this with my dad, who was just looking at like the surface stats, who said that Gagnon's probably not even the best pitcher on his own team, which I adamantly disagree with. Um, but I think it's Gagnon, and Aaron Brooks is on the same team, by the way, who I think is also in this argument. 
Gagnon, if you're talking about pure K rate, by the way, I think he suits your argument. He is number two in the league in K rate. Uh, we've got Chang Moku at 30.1%. We've got Gagnon at 27.4%. And Gagnon actually higher strikeout to walk ratio than Chang Moku so far, five to one, which is pretty excellent. And he's done so with a 60% left on base rate, which is well below the average. I think when you start getting him up into, you know, the low seventies, Drew Gagnon is going to give Ku a run for his money for best pitcher in this league, which is why I tweeted earlier this week that like Kia was only like a minus 139 favorite on the road on FanDuel Sportsbook. First of all, road teams in this league, because of no fans, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Second of all, I think Gagnon should have been priced like a true ace. I said he should have been negative 250. They won that game pretty easily. But I don't think the betting markets so far have given Gagnon the love that he deserves. But I think it's a two-horse race between Gagnon and Straley. I just don't think Jokic has the K stuff, although he's kind of like a Tim Hudson where he's a ground baller. So he will get a lot of ground ball outs and not allow a ton of damage. I think of all active pitchers in the KBO, he has the lowest ISO against, which makes it, you know, he should be in the conversation. But personally, I think it's Gagnon, but I think Dan Straley has the potential to get there, being that he was a good MLB pitcher for a while. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's probably a fair argument. I mean, do you see any of these four guys Gagnon, uh, Jokic, Straley, Brooks heading back to Major League Baseball next year. Do you think any of them have been good enough to uh, to work their way back into the Major Leagues? I think Gagnon's the one with the best chance. I think Straley's just too old. And we've seen, I mean, the last time we saw him in this league, he was literally like a 9-fip guy. It was any time he pitched for the Orioles, you were rostering hitters against him because there were going to be multiple homers. So, I mean, this might get his mental state back, but I don't... I don't really see it. I think it's between Gagnon and Brooks. I think Jokic is just too average with, you know, he's a good ground baller. You might see him as a middle reliever. But I think Ku and Gagnon are the guys that I would look out for going back to the MLB. But like you mentioned, I think Ku is like the only guy that I would bet on in the entire league pitching in the MLB. Yeah. Um, all right. So do we do we have any... Any long shots that we like in the futures market? Uh, you know, the Wyverns, theoretically, they have they have enough power hitters that, you know, they could go on some sort of run or whatever. But, uh, you know, we're, we maybe would not be feeling great about them. The thing about the Wyverns is um, they have good bats in the middle of this lineup in terms of Jong Choi, who is, I think, now fourth on the, the list officially in terms of career homers. They have... Jamie Romack, who's a good power hitter, and they actually have a pretty good starting pitching staff now that Jong Hoon Park um, has been a guy who has taken it to the next level, the Submariner. They're third in team ERA, in starters ERA, rather, so that's specifically starting pitchers. But I just don't think the lineup's deep enough. There's literally two hitters that you're afraid of, and I was looking at the guys they've had hitting in the, the one and two holes. They're guys with like single digit career homers, you know, 370 slugging type of guys. I just don't think the lineup is deep enough. But I think if you were taking a shot on one of the long shots, because their pitching has looked so good, um, I think there are games that they could eke out, you know, enough wins that they can get themselves in the playoffs. So if you're looking for a team that is plus 2,000 or better, I think the Wyverns, because of their pitching on the team that I would take, even over Samsung, although I acknowledge that Samsung is now healthier than they've been, and I think it's just, um, I mean, it's, it's just a good 
it's good odds for both these teams at plus two thousand. I just like the completeness of the Wyverns. If you could, if you could find a way to trade for a bat or something, all of a sudden I would like this team a lot more. There we go. All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and head into our final break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to try and attack the MLB labor dispute and just figure out if we can make heads or tails of what the MLB owners want, what the MLB Players Association wants, and see if there is you know, any way that we can predict baseball happening in 2020. See you guys on the other side of break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top. Hey, Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball. 
but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders. Here in our final segment, we are going to try and answer some of the unanswerable questions, Ricky. We are going to try and figure out how do we get baseball back? Do the owners want baseball back? Do they not want it back? Do we think that, uh, you know, what do we think happens, right? What do we think happens to the game of professional baseball in the United States if we don't have games in 2020? So right now, the the most recent thing that we have is Rob Manfred, uh, who stated early last week that uh, he guaranteed there would be a season in 2020. Just earlier this week on Monday afternoon, he told uh, ESPN, you know, I'm not confident we can play. I think there's real risk. And as long as there's no dialogue, the risk is going to continue. It's a disaster for our game. Absolutely no question about it. And I agree. I actually agree with this position from Rob Manfred that it is um, it is absolutely a disaster for baseball to not play this year. And it doesn't make sense to me why the owners are taking this, you know, crazy hard line with the players. Yeah. So I inherently always side with the players when it comes to these sort of things, especially in the MLB where they have access to the profits and the players do not. So they've been basically coasting, you know, and enjoying their profits from the beginning of time. And now that, you know, it's hit the fan, I think that they should have to eat the losses and that the players who had agreed to their contracts should just, you know, get the cut in pay comparatively to the number of games. I mean, I think that already is a cut in pay when, you know, you were you signed a contract for $10 million for 162 games, you get $5 million for half a season and you go from there. And, you know, if it's 70 games, you do it on a, you know, on a math basis of, of how much you're owed per game. So I think that that's just the fairest way to go about it. But I don't really think it's like that big of a disaster scenario as everyone is saying. I'm not sure everyone is going to jump ship because in a year where coronavirus has cut everything that they don't end up finding a way to play the game. We'll go right into basketball season, which will go right into football season, which then will have us looking forward to next year's MLB season. And I'm sure people will say they're mad, but I'm not sure that's going to you know, change a lot of their buying decisions. Maybe the season ticket holders are the ones that are going to be the most pissed off. And I don't know, maybe playing this year would change their mind, but they're likely going to be games without fans as well. So I just don't think in terms of like, financial decisions from fans maybe they'll buy you know less gear this year because there's there's not a game being played but i don't think it's like a disaster scenario like everyone's suggesting i think it'll just be like oh the season's gone let's move on to the next things and by the time football's over everyone's going to be look, looking forward to baseball again and it'll it'll go back to the way it was the, the thing that will change is the relationship between the mlb and the mlbpa and that could be the disastrous thing i acknowledge but i don't think it's as bad as everyone is alluding to but you could probably change my mind here so this is why i don't agree with you every time there has been a labor dispute in the past for Major League Baseball, right? So we've actually seen like strikes, strike shortened seasons and replacement players. Like there has been labor disputes, um, you know, big time between these, uh, between the MLBPA and Major League Baseball in the past. 
So in the past, though, golf was not a serious competitor at all, right? Golf was something that, uh, you know, you know, old uh, rich people watch. And it was it was not something that was aggressively marketed towards fantasy players, wasn't aggressively marketed towards gamblers, wasn't even really aggressively marketed towards average guys, you know, who just like to watch sports on the weekend. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that golf, because it's been, you know, of the major American sports, golf has been by far the most friendly to fantasy and to gaming. You know, we have on the broadcast, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel odds showing up. We have, you know, the match, which everyone watched and enjoyed. We have all these young players who are like actually involved uh, and, and really good now. So, you know, instead of it being uh, Tiger and a bunch of old guys, you know, we still have Tiger, but we also have a lot of young guys who are playing really well. And, you know, someone like Brooks Kepka, who I think he's won four majors, would like, literally, he would not have had a, a Q score in uh, 2005, right? Like, if you didn't really follow golf, you wouldn't know who that is. But Brooks has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's been on the cover of ESPN. He gets, you know, his his sound bites get broadcast. And I think that if baseball went away for an entire year, I actually think that golf would have the ability, like PGA golf specifically, especially because there's probably going to be three majors in three months. I, I think golf could overtake baseball in terms of total popularity. So your thesis then is that the people who jump ship from MLB don't come back? Because I don't know if I agree with that. Just they have, they have something else to gamble on. They have something else to watch. They have something else to take their attention in the summer. Whereas they literally would have had like baseball did not have a replacement in years past, you know, football's not played in the summer. Uh, the Pete, like, I guess basketball to some extent, but there are still, you know, pretty much baseball owns August, right? Like that's, that's a time when lots like baseball is the only professional American sport being played. Whereas that is no longer true. Yeah. I mean, compared to old labor disputes, there's obviously like a glaring reason for this one, which is, you know, players partially don't want to get a virus that has affected a lot of people very negatively. Like, I don't think we've talked enough about the fact that the people who recover from this virus still may have lung damage and other damage health, long term damage. So. Sure, the players, you know, what's the big deal? You're young and athletic. Well, even if you get the virus and get better and end up playing, like it could have some ongoing health concerns. I don't want to compare it to, you know, like head damage in football because it's not as frequent or as terrible in in theory, but there are some concerns in that way. So, you know, in past years, it's been, you know, both sides wants to get their money. And I think some people will view it that way. But I think you have to view this as like a legitimate ob- obstacle that has not been in the way before in the, in the sense that I think you have to understand the concerns of players. Like imagine if your boss just wanted to throw you back into the fire uh, and pay you part of what you thought you were worth and you would get the coronavirus. Like you don't make as much as them, but you would certainly have your concerns. So... I don't know if you can, you know, one-to-one correlate the way that things have gone in the past and how slow the sport has been to come back because of this pandemic that no one knows how to deal with. But at the same time, I do think they could get past in the short term. I just think baseball would find a way to get back. So I, I completely agree with you, right? I, I believe that um, that the owners are trying to get blood from a stone here where they're asking a lot of the players, right? And and probably whatever MLB schedule would be figured out is not going to be teams traveling 
all across the United States. There's got to be a central location for these games to be played. So it means that these guys are either going to have to live in some sort of isolation or they're going to be living separately from their families or their families are going to have to be, you know, in isolation. So not only are they, you know, putting themselves at risk for getting this disease, but they are for sure putting themselves at risk for, I mean, not even at risk, but they are just having to change their lifestyle in some way. And the the owners basically every time they've come every time the MLB owners have come back with some sort of uh you know some sort of argument or whatever it's always been very very similar deals and it it seems like the MLB is essentially not negotiating in good faith that's that's really to me what it seems like Rick yeah and they're saying that the players aren't negotiating in good faith when the players basically said give us a date we'll be there we know you're taking your sweet time because you want a shorter season where the players want a longer season so they can get more of their checks so they can play more games for the fans uh, and get readier, get their bodies looser for the playoffs by the time that comes around. So I don't know how you could look at those two arguments and think that it's the players are the ones in bad faith when all they're asking is for their piece of their negotiated contract for however long the games are um, to start ASAP because they want to get back to work and just say that, you know, the owners, you've been you've had your days where you've enjoyed the profits. Now you take the losses for one year and we'll be back strong next year with a game that will have had a playoffs, that will have had a decent regular season, that will have had people betting on FanDuel, that will have people playing fantasy uh, to keep the interest. And I don't know how you can look at that and say, well, the players need to, to take more or to give more rather. I, I think they're giving as much as they need to give and we should just have a deal with this setup. I think to me, the most reasonable suggestion is a hundred games and you give the players 75% of their pay. You basically prorate it 75% of their contracts. I think that makes the, you know, that gets games played, right? So, so that is, uh, you know, that's going to be massive for, that's going to be massive for the owners. And, you know, the players are able to make a good amount of money because I think people also forget the baseball, like free agency market and everything was messed up before this, right? Like things were, things were already bad uh, in, in the way that free agency was working for pro baseball players. Like, you know, Mike Moustakis was what he was on a one year, $7 million contract last year. Like the guys who were really good, they, they were sitting there forever waiting for their service time to turn over. And then when they, they finally got done with their service time, they, uh, they weren't able to make any money. So I think the system was kind of already broken. And I think that's kind of paying it or playing into why these guys are not acquiescing to the demands because they're like, you look, we, we weren't going to get paid anyways. We weren't going to get the money that we thought we were deserved to anyway. So this is like kind of a good time for the players to, you know, bargain for what they think they're owed. Yeah, I don't think you can have this argument and not include service time when you've seen guys who clearly would be getting a contract, potentially double the size, sign contracts so early in their career. I mean, Anthony Rizzo is one I can remember. I know Luis Robert just signed one for $50 million because you have to wait for the service time to turn over for your deal to be up. 
And if you risk it, you could risk injury and not getting paid. So guys end up taking like $50 million contracts when by the time that contract is up or even a few years into it, they're probably 100 to $150 million players, which is a rule that is skewed in favor of the owners for them to mess with service time. The reason we don't see these prospects up at the beginning of the year, you got to wait the two weeks or you got to wait till that date in June for players to get called up because of service time rules. I think that's just another aspect that's been skewed in favor of the owners that they've been taking advantage of that the players now just say you know pay us our salaries you've had this in your favor you just won't have this in your favor this year it's time like things changed in in our favor yeah i i certainly think that's true and i mean you know it's it's discouraging when as sports fans you know we have to go from looking forward to the season happening and talking about fantasy and pitchers and catchers reporting and we got spring training and we have baseball games on during the day and now we're having to you know learn about obscure things going on inside of the major league baseball collective bargaining agreement i mean i i kind of hope the thing that comes out of this is that the players get a better collective bargaining agreement that would uh that would be optimal but everyone that's going to do it for our time here today on the daily roto hour on sports grid tv this has been davis maddock and ricky sanders hopefully we will have some cheerier topics to discuss next week when we get on the show and uh everyone i hope that you enjoy your day good luck on your bets we'll see you all soon sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the Deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller 
host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.